Hi, everybody. Welcome to the October 19th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on some of the high-profile visits coming to Colorado this week. Vice President Mike Pence was in town on Thursday, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming this weekend to campaign for amendments Y and Z. Patty Calhoun, uh, we haven't had the kind of high-profile visits we usually have, but uh, will Arnold sway your vote on Y and Z? Oh, sure. Now, I tell you what is going to sway my vote on something, if I can figure out what. It's Pence coming to town and snarling traffic yesterday for hours. I mean, people were late all over town because they didn't know he was coming because he wasn't doing really a campaign stop. But I would also be interested in knowing just how much it cost the city and the state patrol to cover for Pence coming. Arnold, I don't think we'll need bodyguards. You know, it's interesting. Arnold once used to be an investor in town. He had the block that's now the dairy block, and his company was called Pumping Bricks, but he never really developed it. Mm -hmm. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, we get visits like this. Does it do more good for the fundraisers that VP Mike Pence or Arnold Schwarzenegger might do, or more harm because of the people that are annoyed by the things that take that have to happen for these visits to, to take place? It's a trade-off, and presumably the uh, Pence paid for for some of the the uh, extra Denver police security, and as as everyone should, who causes that kind of disruption. Uh, but Schwarzenegger's, uh, I, I don't think he's a powerful political icon in, in Colorado, but, but he's right. This is something that he fought for unsuccessfully in California and pushed referenda, not exactly like this, but at the same point to have fair and non-gerrymandered uh, redistricting, and, and that lo he lost on that. And, you know, as a result of that, California is, Mexifornia, is increasingly uh, a political system like Mexico as of 1965 is where there, it is permanent one-party rule because they always gerrymander and they can manipulate all the rules for themselves. And the other side is allowed to exist to some extent, uh, but that's about it. And so it's, it says a lot for these initiatives in Colorado. They're bipartisan, supported really by all the, throughout the, the state legislature. And you don't know if they'll work, but they, they might be an improvement of the current system. Eric, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, you have Jennifer Lawrence. Are these the type of folks that might sway some undecideds in Colorado? No, they're here to play to the base. Uh, in Schwarzenegger's case, there isn't a base around that ball those ballot measures, but he's to, you know, get a little press, gin it up a little bit, uh, get some exposure. Uh, to David's point about Schwarzenegger being involved in similar efforts in California, it's also not lost on me that Kent Theory, the head of DeVita, which who's the largest funder, the dominant funder behind Y and Z, was also headquartered in California back when Schwarzenegger was governor. I assume there's a connection there and that that has some link to this visit. Uh, fortunately, we'll be spared a presidential visit here with all the headache that entails, unlike Obama, who I sometimes thought had a second home in Colorado. He was here so often. Trump has a pattern of only visiting states he won. I don't, I can't think of uh, other than maybe one trip to California, uh, a Hillary state that Trump has visited. So uh, we will not be seeing the president here this cycle, and we'll, we'll, be spared, um, uh, we'll be spared all of that drama. Brother Jeff, editor at Five Points News, joins us. It's great to have you back on the panel. Good to be here. Uh, what do you think about all these uh, high-profile visits to Denver and Colorado? Well, speaking of high-profile um, visits, Former Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, we just hosted a forum with him at Brother Jeff's Cultural Center exactly about Y and Z. So it seems like there's a lot of agreement, um, must be a lot of money behind it, super important issue. So if all of these sides are agreeing on one thing, maybe that's a good thing. 
Walker Stapleton and Jared Polis complete their debate schedule in just a few days as ballots begin to arrive around the state. A recent Magellan Strategies poll shows Polis with a seven-point lead with 9% reporting undecided. Patty, we've been talking about the governor's race because it is the biggest race right now for the election. Uh, but when it comes to polling, these numbers haven't changed from uh, the same polling group doing this poll a month ago. Uh, are you surprised the debate season hasn't changed or wiggled those polls at all? Well, it might have because what it's done is it cut down the number of undecided. When we first heard about the poll, it was maybe a third undecided. Now we're down to, what, 9%? So you've seen people have made decisions whether watching these increasingly odd debates has um, has affected people or not. They seem to be breaking the way people were already breaking before. You know, on the most recent one, Stapleton just looks like he's not ready for prime time in some cases. And the fight uh, to bring up the Polis case in Boulder, we dissected that at Westward with an employee and the police were called. To bring that up the way he has, and there's a bad commercial on it that's been pulled from two different stations, I don't. I could be wrong, but I haven't heard Polis bringing up the DUI that that uh, Stapleton had before. I would like to stick to the issues and get away from the innuendo. But watching them up there has been interesting because you get a feel for who might at least be able to handle crowds as the governor or questions, difficult questions as the governor. That doesn't mean they will hold the policy they're talking about at the debates, but it's. I think it's helped people make some decisions. David, are, are we seeing, uh, I mean, if Walker Stapleton sees internal polling and he's behind, I think we predicted here, uh, I think Ed Sealever came in for the first results of debate that he had hosted that morning and said, hey, he's progressive, that probably shows he's behind in polls. But have we seen in, uh, Walker Stapleton talk about himself enough in, uh, in except or, uh, or in uh, uh, difference to always going to what Jared Polis will do and not telling enough about what Walker Stapleton will do? Um. I don't. I can't remember in my lifetime. I was born in 1960 when we've had a governor's race where the two major candidates were both so unpopular with the public. And so, since the public in general doesn't lend, now I've, I've heard this, you know, from canvassers and things like that. You go door to door. You, you may be able to pick up a vote by going door to door, but a, a common reaction is, "I hate all these negative ads. I don't like either of them." So, Stapleton not trying to talk about himself is probably uh, a, a positive move. Um, what's One of the things that's surprising is Stapleton has not been able to take advantage of things where Jared's leading issues are so radically out of step with Colorado. Jared wants a government takeover of all health care. So, you know, the, the choice exists in a kind of a phony system. You can go to this doctor or that doctor technically, but it's all going to be paid for by the state. Gigantic tax increase to do it. And, of course, we'll end up with a situation like, like Canada or England. Is Yeah, you, you can get a primary care appointment fairly readily. And if you want the hip replacement you need today, uh, you can go wait in line uh, for nine months if you're ever going to get it. It was, that was rejected by about 80% of the Colorado voters when it was on the ballot. And Jared wants to cram that down on Colorado again. You would think that could be a pretty good issue uh, for Polis. I'm with the 80%. They're both nominally against the 112, uh, the oil and gas fracking ban, uh, because it has a 2,500-foot set-out back, which would wipe out the oil and gas industry. But Jared previously has been for a 2,000-foot setback, which would 
wipe out the entire industry and maybe leave a few stragglers uh, arrive for historical museum purposes, you know, again, and that's going to go down to, a, a, I think, a pretty large defeat. And again, Stapleton can't convert people who agree with him on the issues into voting for him. Eric, um, Stapleton has doubled down on uh, the story that Patty referenced about the, the interaction between Polis and a coworker, and it's turned into uh, a, a pretty fierce conversation from the Polis campaign who has pushed uh, two Denver stations to pull the ad. I don't know if that's a strong move. I get the uh, being aggressive, but I, I do wonder, as I asked David, if people know enough about what Walker stands for, let alone, or besides, against what Jared Polis would do. I don't know if it's a strong move. It's a desperate move. Uh, there's poll after poll after poll. Yes, Magellan is a Republican firm, discounted a little bit, but it, it is not out of line with other polls uh, that are out there. To win, if you're going to go negative on your opponent... You have to have a baseline of likability on your own part in order to capitalize on that. And I'm not convinced that Walker has projected or earned that sort of baseline of likability. This whole race, and we've talked about around this table, is just lacking any buzz. I don't think there are 100 Coloradans who would really passionately walk you know, walk through a door for either of these candidates. There was more buzz around Hickenlooper and Dan Mays than there is around uh, Jared Polis uh, and Walker Stapleton. I think back to other governors, Republican Bill Owens, Democrat Dick Lamb, Roy Romer, Bill Ritter, Hickenlooper, obviously. There was personality. There was some magnetism. This one is all about partisanship. I don't think it's about policy particularly, and it is certainly not about personality. It is about partisanship, and we're in a lightly democratic state in a deeply democratic year, and for my thinking, that is the, the whole explanation for Polis's lead and Polis's likely win here. Brother Jeff, do Coloradans know enough about either of these candidates? Well, you know, I, I've got to follow, follow those, those words, partisanship. I don't think people care. Um, they're firmly in one camp or the other. They're not listening to facts. They're not listening to policy, and they're not listening to each other. I think this is going to be a nail-biter. It's going to come down to those independents who can mobilize their base to get out and vote because it's going to take some, some encouraging for people to really turn out. And I, I'm just not seeing that. And looking at those debates, um, it, it looked like Stapleton keeps pivoting to Trump. Um, and they're riding that wave, and, um, and the other side, Polis and them are pulling away from that. So it's almost like Trump's in the middle. Are you for this or are you against this? And those who don't care about either side, they'll probably decide this election. The same Magellan Strategies poll that provided results in the governor's race also showed results for the two transportation ballot issues. Proposition 110 garnered 35% approval with over 30% undecided, and Proposition 109 had 52% approval. David, in full disclosure, the Independence Institute sponsors Proposition 109, but are you surprised at seeing that many undecideds on both of the issues? Um, no, because I, I think that that's common for, for ballot issues other than like the, the most highest level, you know, nuclear level thing that, that still a lot of people don't know about until uh, close to the election. Um, I would thank uh, Governor John Shafroth, our great progressive Democratic governor from 1912, and uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, who were the keys to getting the legislature to put on the ballot the constitutional amendment which created the right of citizen initiative. And 
you know, look at this thing. You've got, obviously, I have, I have a bias on this. You've got 110, which is the Chamber of Commerce thing, huge increase on the sales tax. Less than half of the money will go to the state roads projects, which are so desperately needed. And most of the rest of the money, or at least a large share of it, goes to local government slush funds with, with little accountability. Admittedly, and, though, local control has been usually a stance that uh, Oh, local, local control is fine. Want. Exactly. And that, right. that's why, like, so in, in Boulder, we vote all the time to increase our taxes for things like bike lanes, and which I'm very much for. But that's the local voters deciding on how it's going to be done instead of money from one part of the state coming to another part of the state and the, the county commissioners or the, the city council just gets to spend it without the control of the voters and actually with very little accounting uh, reporting they have to do back to the state for the, how they spend the, the state money. Huge amount of money on that. And now only about a third of the voters are for it despite all that advertising. At the Independence Institute, we spent several hundred thousand dollars to get it on the ballot. And as far as I know, our expenditures since then have been zero. We have no money for advertising on this. Well, I saw Caldera at the sandwich board. Our, 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 yeah, yeah, well, our, our campaign is, is Caldera and, and Mike Krause from the Independence Institute going out to speak at luncheons and, and things like that. So I suppose they're, the gas money they spend is it. And, and yet, thank you, President Roosevelt and Governor Shafroth, uh, the people are, uh, seem to be seeing through things and taking the thing of, no, spend your existing money to improve the roads. You've got a billion-dollar surplus. Just put a quarter of that into fixing our roads. Eric, we didn't have David here last week, so this was uh, we finally get some honest-to-goodness 20th century administration history. So thank you, David. <laughs> um, Eric, do you think because of the length of the ballot, especially in Denver, that voters just might be in a no mood when they go down, that it's just... They get kind of voter fatigue. What do you think? I think there's definitely a chance and even maybe a dominant likelihood of that. That's uh, a theory I've advanced for some time that this could be a vote no uh, kind of year for the reasons you expressed and just general alienation, general frustration. I mean, even when you get to Denver, where you have those four tax increases on the Denver ballot, all sales tax increases, uh, and Denver has always been a very tax-friendly place. And... I was having coffee yesterday, I'll keep him nameless, but a prominent Denverite who, shall we say, is known, not known for her aversion to taxes and was planning to vote no on all of these just because it's too much. Mm -hmm. It is too much and there's no discipline of trying to sort it out. To 109 and 110, my biggest question mark these days is not what happens to 110. I would be amazed if that one can get near 50%. Uh, the, the history of ballot issues is you usually start with everything or close to everything you're going to get, and then it's a battle of atrophy. So you try to start them at 60% and keep the atrophy from dragging you under 50. If they're at 35, 36, 38 now, it is hard to climb to where they need to go. My question is whether 109 passes or whether neither of them pass. And I think that might be what keeps us uh, up or at least keeps us tuned in and interested on election night. Brother Jeff, it feels like transportation is a universal issue, but how we handle it certainly is not. What do you think? Well, I think that something must be done. It's been <clears throat> about 30 years, I believe, in terms of something being done around this transportation issue. Now we're in a feast or famine mode. Uh, two propositions on the on on the ballot and they seem to be battling each other it's like fighting between your mother and your father and they're getting a divorce or something choose us choose us um, don't choose any but um, I, I think that at some point 
we're going to have to figure out how to pay for this. They're saying bond issues. They're saying, well, some sales tax. I'm thinking about travels when I go to Illinois and every few blocks I seem to be stopped to have to throw some change into one of those toll booths. And you've got to start traveling with a pocket full of money just to make your destination and return. So one ten, um, um, nine and ten, I don't know. Feast or famine, a lot of people not talking about it, and it gets a lot. It gets very complicated and in the weeds around this. And I don't know if people are going to really drill down and try to figure it out. Patty, are voters fed up enough about transportation that one of these passes, or is there a possibility they both go down? Well, there's no way that 110 at this point is going to go unless we have some incredible snarl on a highway, oh, like I-70, which I wound up in the other day, <laughs> where the York Street uh, exit is now gone. I think there's a good shot at one um, at Fix Our Damn Roads passing, partly because the slogan is so great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like treat marijuana like alcohol. It's another one. It's our roads. There's money. The state budget is twice what it used to be. Someone should come up with a way, and maybe the Independence Institute did, where you can actually fix at least some of our damn roads with this plan. So I think that has a shot at it, but 110 is going down. Lisa Calderon became the latest candidate to throw her hat into the ring for the race for mayor of Denver this week. Calderon is a co-chair co of the Colorado Latino Forum, and in her announcement, she made housing a priority. Eric, how do you see this announcement? Is Calderon more of a, uh, a big name in uh, what you'd put with Penfield Tate and, of course, Mayor Hancock running for a third term? Or does she represent more of, uh, I would just say, the, the activist folks who have been speaking out about Mayor Hancock for several months? I think it's more the latter. I think she'll attract attention. She's well-spoken. She has a constituency. I'll be interested what bro Brother Jeff says in a, in a, in a second here. Um, but I don't think she's necessarily a finalist candidate. Uh, I have two questions here. One is, what other names are out there that are going to get in? Is the field set? I doubt it. I think there's still even a couple months after the November election where candidates can emerge. And is anyone going to emerge? Secondly, uh, voters have to decide, do they want sort of a practical alternative to Michael Hancock? At least voters who are opposed to the current administration, do they want a practical alternative or do they want that activist, impassioned voice who is a nice protest vote but probably is not going to be able to beat Michael Hancock in the final analysis? Brother Jeff, what do you think? I mean, as a person speaking from the community, as Lisa Calderon, what energy she brings to the race, and uh, your opinion of what that's going to do for the mayor's race in general? Well, it's going to make an interesting battle. Um, mayor Michael Hancock had a, a, almost a free pass last time. We want to see if he's got some ring rust, if he's ready to debate some issues, uh, because people are considering joining the race. The field is not set. Uh, Lisa Calderon has history on her side in terms of those who may want to see uh, woman leadership. Uh, she just received her Ph.D. I just want to just throw that in. But there's a lot of individuals that are not happy. Um, that vote is going to be dis uh, uh, split out in several different ways. Penfield Tate is, is n by no means um, unprepared, unfunded, un, um, um, un, uh, qualified, uh, unqualified. So. I think the one who's nervous is Mayor Michael Hancock, He's, and the rest of us can grab some popcorn, watch this play out, but it's going to be a great mayoral uh, campaign season. I think popcorn next spring is indeed <laughs> on the menu. I think you're right. Patty, uh, is there enough community activism, is there enough anger, I guess frustration out there that uh, Cold Wrong can capture that as part of her energy for her campaign? 
Well, one of the things she'll do is bring to the debates, and there will be debates because we've got enough people. We really didn't have them uh, four years ago. Those debates, she will not hesitate to take on Hancock and criticize Hancock. We've seen from Penn's announcement already that he is not going to hesitate to criticize Hancock. So I think the mayor is going to definitely feel a little punctured after many of these debates. But it's, it's time to have a discussion of where Denver's been going, where we want to go from here. We missed it during the last debate, uh, the last mayoral campaign. We really need it now. She is certainly not the last person to enter the race. I know of um, one for sure who will be coming in after the November ballot, you know, the November 6th election she is taking all the oxygen. No one takes it that works at Westward. Uh, well, <laughs> this, no this person has a there? chance, <laughs> which no one from Westward would. But uh, someone is coming, some, someone will enter, and I think there could be others too. Remember, Hickenlooper didn't announce until January, the year he ran. So we need a discussion of what's going on in the city, and thanks to people like Lisa and Penn Tate, Kaylin Heffernan, we are going to get these debates. David, wrap it up for us. What does this mean for the mayor's race? Under conventional wisdom of the way politics used to be, you'd say it's almost now a two-person race between Hancock, if you like the way things are, and Tate, if you want change, but you also want someone who's very competent and experienced and is going to know how to do the job on, on day one and has a proven record of success. But you know, and you'd see, under that thinking, you'd, you'd dismiss Lisa Calderon and say, oh, we, well, you know, name in the newspapers a lot, has a motivated and very angry but kind of narrow uh, base, very good at, at flying off the handle and making charges which don't necessarily stick. And so you would think she would have not that much of a chance, but in response to people who would discount her, op, her chance of victory, I would just say President Donald Trump. There you go. Well, it's time for a very, very part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, I try to keep these things local, and this does hit close to home. Yesterday in Missoula, Montana, President Donald Trump congratulated a lawmaker who'd assaulted a reporter. In a month where the Washington, a Washington Post columnist has been assassinated, in a year where a Maryland newsroom was decimated by a shooter, you just don't suggest violence against anyone, but definitely the fourth estate. You don't suggest it's a good idea. David? Absolutely what, what Patty said, and that applies in other contexts as well. We've had just in the past seven days numerous violent attacks against Republican officials or, or campaign aides. Remember, we had a Bernie supporter try to assassinate two dozen Republican members of Congress saying this is for health care while he nearly came, except for a great shot by a super Capitol Police Department officer, would have murdered Steve Scalise and, and many others. And Bernie Sanders, inspirer of the murderer, attempted murderer, <clears throat> not intentionally, but unintentionally, sticks with that. And he's asked about, well, what do you think about all these mobs and these shrieking people and clawing at the door of the Supreme Court and cornering people in elevators? And he says, oh, we, that, that's fine. We've got to mobilize our base. Mob ill lies. That's the degenerate. The Sanders and Trump represent the mutual degeneration of a republic into mob rule. Eric. I don't disagree with David. I was planning to go to the same place <clears throat> Patty went, but since she said it, uh, I will move on. How about uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts with her taking Donald Trump's bait 
and getting a DNA test. It was lousy politics. First of all, you don't get into that kind of a mud fight with Donald Trump. You're not going to come out well. The timing of it is all wrong, and there are a whole lot of Democrats upset about her timing, where she stepped on what they considered their momentum uh, this, this late in the election cycle. And more than that, but leaving the politics aside, it is just the inevitable outcome of this sort of societal obsession we have with identity politics, where you're trying to prove, are, am I 164th Indian versus 128th versus 1,012th Indian? It is ridiculous. It's irrelevant. And uh, it makes you question her readiness for prime time as a potential presidential candidate. And, and offending tribes in the process. Wow. Brother Jeff. I'm going to go with the Democratic Party leadership and the October surprise, their inability to handle it. They stepped all on, e on top of each other around this Representative Javon Milton issue. Um, domestic violence is unacceptable, but when you're starting to talk about something that happened 18 years ago and you began calling for one of your own party members to step down before the Denver Post ink dries on the paper, um, now thinking about the momentum of the ballot and people going to the polls. The Democratic Party is off message. They spend a lot of time defending and talking about one issue when they've got a lot of great candidates that, you know, they can't pay attention to. So it feels like a funeral in the uh, Democratic Party as opposed to an energized base heading into the polls. Let's say something nice rather quickly. Patty. You know, when you come here to Five Points every week, you can't help but notice how this rich cultural area is turning into a cavern of commerce. So I want to congratulate Adrian Miller, who is a historian, a great guy who has written the definitive book on soul food. He's a Denverite, and he just won a big national award from Southern Foodways. So congratulations to Adrian Miller. David. Colorado Politics newspaper, which continues to provide excellent coverage, the best in the state in this election season. Eric. This is Tom Bosberg's last day as superintendent of DPS. He hasn't been a perfect superintendent for 10 years, but he's been a darn good one. We can only hope that uh, his successor uh, is equally up to that test and equally committed to quality outcomes. Brother Jeff. Following uh, my prior comments, I'm going 1-800-799-7233. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And I'm just sending a shout out to those who make that call and those who answer that call. Uh, 1-800-799-7233, National Domestic Violence Hotline. A reminder for next week, our debates continue as we feature the candidates running for state treasurer, Republican Brian Watson and Democrat Dave Young at 7 o'clock and at 7.30. Our third place match and our both sides of the story continue. The, the students from George Washington and Denver East debate if Colorado City should be able to pass anti-camping bans. Be sure to tune in. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.